Welcome to the Major Journey Podcast, where we showcase stories from cannabis industry power players. Guests take us on journeys and immerse us in the roller coaster ride, both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth in their personal and professional lives. Today's special guest was responsible for revitalizing and rebranding Maine's Sacco Drive-In Movie Theater, which led him to earning 40 under 40 at the age of 22. He parlayed what he learned from that experience into becoming a serial entrepreneur that helped exponentially grow and sell multiple businesses to now being founder and CEO of Not Plastic, a company responsible for being on the cutting edge of biodegradable plastic alternatives. And I can almost guarantee he's got something new and exciting up his sleeve that he's going to share on today's episode. And without further ado, Rye Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It is an honor to be here today, and I'm really excited to speak to the audience about the major journey I've been on. <laughs> it sure sounds like one. Um, and so I guess a lot of us are wondering, you know, with a, with a robust journey like that, as a kid, what did you always dream of becoming? Did you kind of envision this roadmap for yourself or did you just kind of have things coming your way and just signed up for them as they came? I feel so lucky and blessed and fortunate to have had the career that I've had so far. And honestly, it's only just beginning in, in many aspects. When I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a movie director. That was, that was something that I, I don't know why, <laughs> I just, it was something that I enjoyed. I remember I think I was maybe 12, 11 or 12. And I went to a different movie every single week. Like I would take the recycling, I would sell candy at school and I would sometimes just ride my bike to the movie theater by myself. And there was days where I'd spend the whole day there, watch two or three films and Back then, it was kind of, you know, maybe a little bit easier to sneak from theater to theater. And because I went so often, I just made friends with all of the staff at the theater. And I remember just, they would give me movie posters from you know, titles that were released and then had left the theater. And my entire room was plastered with, with movie posters. And I'm sure my parents were somewhat concerned with my infatuation with film. And I didn't know what it was. I, I don't know if it was, you know, the, the quote unquote celebrity, but, you know, directors, there's really not that many celebrity directors. So I think it was just about the process of creating a world and creating an environment that excited me. And I wanted to do that in, tell you know, really most of high school and then all of a sudden I just kind of you know, decided that like that just wasn't necessarily a journey I, I wanted to go on and you know I, I love sports and I thought about sports management uh, before going to college and 
I just didn't know what I wanted to do because I want to do everything. Like it was to me, it's like, well, if I become a movie director, that's all I can be. Or if I become this, that's all I can be. You have to be the best at one thing. And that really interrupted, I think, the entrepreneurial journey early on, which seems kind of weird to say, as you mentioned, 22 being one of Maine's youngest 40 under 40 recipients. But I was so lost. My 20th birthday, I broke down. I bawled my eyes out because I had no, I had no purpose. I had no goals. I had, I was just in college, you know, and at going from a, a private boarding school to a public university, I wasn't challenged. I wasn't stimulated. I was resentful. And the driving kind of happened, you know, like it was something where, you know, my dad sent me a text on my 21st birthday and told me it was closing. And all of a sudden, all of these childhood memories started to just kind of slap me in the face over and over and over again of maybe this is your way to accomplish some of those childhood dreams. Like maybe you just take over a drive-in and, and you figure it out, right? I mean, everybody has such a diverse path to whatever it is that they want to achieve. And so as, you know, kind of that conflict between becoming an adult and, and childhood dreams started to clash. <laughs> and I just didn't give myself time to think. I met with the owners of the theater within three days of that text message from my pops and I signed the lease. <laughs> I had no money. I was 21. I had no money. I had no plan. I had no idea what I was doing. And I had everything I needed at the same time. You know, I had two parents that loved and supported me. I have, you know, my grandparents that just, they're right there with the checkbook. How can we help? You know, and I mean, nobody in my family had enough to do everything. And so it was $500 at a time, $1,000 at a time, putting together the resources to take over this theater. And that's, I tell people, that's where the journey started. Mm. Because saying yes was easy. It's all of the things that happened after that, that's the major journey from drive-in owner to, you know, film producer to entrepreneur, it all started there. And just, I mean, so much chaos being 21 and, and an entrepreneur, but as a kid, that was it. That was like my lifelong dream was to, was to be a movie director and, you know, not necessarily something that I know I will personally fulfill. Maybe I will in some capacity, you know, producing films, writing scripts, you know, projects that I do for fun now really fulfill that childhood dream. And so like, I just, every now and then I feel like I can kind of look over to like 12 year old Rye and just say, you did it, bro. Like you did a good job. And there's so much more to do. That's incredible. Man, what a journey. So one of the things that you said that that really kind of stood out to me was that, and it's funny because we're recording this just about a week before Thanksgiving, you said that you had everything you needed, yet you had this, what seemed to be incredible drive and sense of urgency to just go, yet you still said, you know, I had everything I needed. And so I was still happy, but I, I was just, I was ready to go. 
Um, do you think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs have within themselves? And that's kind of what distinguishes, you know, um, somebody who has those entrepreneurial tendencies versus somebody who, you know, just simply may not. I, in my honest opinion, an entrepreneur needs two things and you can't buy them and you have to have heart and you have to have logic. And if you've got a good brain and a good heart, I promise you, you have it all. You have it all. And if you have parents that love and support you, if you have a significant other that loves and supports you, if you have just family, you know, pick your family, you've got good friends, an entrepreneur, that's all you need. And so many entrepreneurs, I think have everything they need and they don't realize it. Mm. And one of my favorite philosophies that I really started to bring into my life early on was the concept that there's always a third option. At nothing is yes and no. Nothing is black and white. There's always a third option in life. And often, that's what we're trying to figure out. Those are the problems we're trying to solve, is that you come to a fork in a road, and there's these two directions. And we're taught since we're kids to go the one less traveled. Maybe, or maybe it's time to you know walk back a little bit, grab a bulldozer, and knock down a new path. And I think that's where entrepreneurship and a successful business person is separated. I think a successful business person can look at those two paths and pick one and make it pretty good, make, could make it extremely successful. But I think an entrepreneur is going to look at that and be bored and say, I don't want that one. I don't want that one. That's not ideal. There has to be something here. There's also a balance between time and money. And I think that often that fork in the road is time and money. And a lot of times we don't have much money. And if you're an entrepreneur, there's never time. There's never time. My biggest anxiety in life is the clock. And so I look at things as, okay, there's this much money and I have this much time to accomplish this where, you know, which one has to go up to solve the problem. And so at the end of the day, I, I think all of business is this kind of rational meets irrational thought. And, you know, these are things that just stuck with me since, since I was young. And, you know, I mean, like it, like it or not, or, or what people think, I mean, the first book I ever read in my life was The Art of the Deal. And the second book that I ever read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the third book was The 48 Laws of Power. And as a kid, right, those are, those are three <laughs> books that just like, they don't, they don't seem very practical or something of interest to a child. But to me, I knew what I wanted from a personal life. And I just needed to figure out how to create a professional life that would allow me to live that. That is incredible. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you are incredibly self-aware and 
you knew exactly what was going on inside and you just simply had to figure it out, which is, it's almost, to me, it sounds like that's just part of an entrepreneur's DNA. So I hats off to you for being able to do that at such a young age and have that self-awareness um, and know what to do with it. Right. And so even now, like, you know, you have so, you have your, so many different things going on. Um, one of the things that I actually forgot to, to mention in the intro is that you're the, the host of Weed Buds Radio. And so how did you go from the movie business to, to being in the cannabis space? Like that, like where do, where do those two, where's that, how does that, how does an entrepreneur like yourself approach that fork in the road? And what did you do to, to create that third path? Well, when you put it that way, Michael, it, uh, you know, it, it is, it's hard to kind of see how one road connected somewhere to another. And I think that is something that's unique to me is that often the businesses that I invest in or the businesses that I work with, the only common denominator is me. And so, you know, there's a lot and there's a lot of risk with that too, because as an entrepreneur, if your personality is the core of a business, you need to be very cautious and very aware of how you scale and phase yourself kind of out of that because this a business needs to operate whether you're alive or not and we don't like to think about that very often but i didn't start not plastic for the sake of having another job you know i started not plastic to save the world and the transition happened in two parts when I was at the drive-in, I saw the excessive amount of waste at the end of the night. It was a real job. A real position that we hired for was a lot cleaner, you know, like a lot picker upper person where at the end of the night, somebody would go around and pick up all the trash. And then before the next show, the next day, same thing, somebody would go and anything that was missed because it's, it's nighttime. I didn't expect everybody to hit a hundred percent, just make a good enough dent that the person tomorrow will be able to get it done before the show starts. Cups, utensils, straws, napkins, everywhere, everywhere. You know, when you're filling up and selling out shows at a drive-in movie theater and you're charging per car, each car could have as few as two people, as many as six, seven, or eight people. And at first I would get frustrated with the individuals that were visiting. Of like, there's trash receptacles. There, 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 there. There's recycling. There, 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 there. And then I realized they're not bad people. They're not just leaving the trash for the sake of leaving the trash. They're parents. They have to wrangle six kids <laughs> into the minivan. That red plastic cup isn't a priority. The priority is we had a great night. We got to wrangle the kids in, get ready for bedtime when we get home. The kids are all jazzed up and have been running around, you know, acres and playing with the kids from the neighborhood and community. Like they're just, they're just parents. They're busy. And I started to look at the waste very differently. I looked at it as kind of a byproduct of what the community's going through. We're all so busy. Mm. We're all trying to raise our families. We're all trying to share love with the world. And, and so when it started to hit me 
that we need to make products that can solve these problems for themselves. And we need to stop blaming consumers. It's such a scapegoat process for the industry, for the petrochemical industry especially, is if they can blame you, then they don't need to take responsibility. And I just have never felt that way. Like I feel as a producer, I have a responsibility for what I put out into the world. And when I left the drive-in in 2015, to be honest, I didn't even know how to go about that. You know, I had left university. I was a drive-in guy. I was a, a media personality. We started doing you know, film reviews and we created film festivals and helped produce you know, uh, different movies and short films and, and projects. And we knew we could foreshadow that you really need to own your own broadcasting. You need to own your own distribution. So these are all things that we learned early on, but I also knew that I didn't want to be a drive-in owner anymore. I knew that to me, I call it my lighthouse. Like that's where you go when you're 70, you know, and, and you go and you're a lighthouse keeper until the end of your days and you live this quiet, peaceful life. That's what I started to see the driving as. And when I left, I kind of went through this crisis, if you will. I had some great projects I was working on, some big national projects and everything should be good. But I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what I wanted. And I just started like to really think about how I can make an impact. I knew that I wanted to do something about these waste management issues, but I didn't know where to start. I wasn't a scientist. I'm, I was an entrepreneur. And then I realized that before I was an entrepreneur, I wasn't that either. And before I was a movie producer, I wasn't one of those. And so then I realized that none of us are freaking anything. We're nothing but we get to be whatever the heck we want to be as long as we're willing to work hard. And that's when I decided I was going to start trying to solve these problems. Well, fast forward, I started to develop some significant health issues physically that ended up taking an extreme mental toll. And I'll never forget in 2018 telling my doctor at the time, who I trusted very much, was graduated from one of the best medical schools in the entire country. And I remember after about a year of trying different things to get me physically and mentally back on track, that nothing was working. Uh, the, some of the prescriptions made me feel like a zombie. And, and you know me, Michael. Like, I am... I'm, I am like going a 99 miles per hour <laughs> right. as often as I can. And I would wake up a zombie. I'd feel like a shell of a human being. And the self-loathing would just come in of like, wow, you used to be great. Now you're nothing. Now wow. you can't even pull yourself together. And I'll never forget the conversation that I sat down back with my doctor and I finally told him, I said, look, this is not a cry for help. This is not an irrational thought. If we can't figure this out, this is not a life that I want to live. It's just, it's just not. Like, and I was very deliberate with my words. And I was very clear that 
I am no longer this regiment that we're on, this journey that we're going through. This is not who I am. And if I can't be me, I don't want to live this way. Right. And I'll never forget. He's just looked at me. He's like, I don't even, I get it. I get it. And I have been nervous about this recommendation because I'm not qualified. I know nothing about this, but I think that maybe you should consider cannabis, medical cannabis. Wow. And I had never considered it in my entire life. And I was you know, 28 years old, I think at the time. It was never a consideration. And I didn't know where to start. It, but what I knew is I knew how to create an audience. I knew how to build a platform. And what I decided to do is if I was going to go on this, and again, right, here's somebody that's a, like mentally giving up on life. I said, look, I don't, I don't want to die by this evil devil's lettuce. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know anything <laughs> about it. And so I started the podcast and I'll never forget. I was in Ohio and I called a grower and I said, I know nothing about these products. And if you kill me, it's going to go on the airwaves <laughs> and I'm going to tell the world. And Jesse Littleton in Ohio invited me over to his residence and I, I've never gone through an experience like that before. It wasn't a business transaction. It was buds for life immediately. You know, he also was a young entrepreneur. You know, he was a successful rock star in Marshall Dillon, you know, one of uh, you know, just kind of the youngest all-time all-boy rock bands. And, you know, here we yeah. are kind of going through these similar times in life where we're just meeting and both of us are like, you know, we used to do these great things. And, and here we are. And he said, you know, I, I got into cannabis and, you know, I'm working with, you know, this company in Ohio and I just, you don't have to try anything. Just let me explain to you what these products are and how they work. And just immediately I felt safe. I felt comfortable. And ultimately I said, wow, you know, if I, if I can go on this journey, there has to be other people that are afraid. So let's, you know, let's introduce the show to them that they can go on these journeys with me as I meet entrepreneurs and business people in the space. Maybe it will bring a level of comfort. Maybe it'll bring a level of understanding. Maybe it'll inspire some entrepreneurs who knows. And going through this, getting into the hemp space and seeing everything that is, is coming from the different hemp projects. I said, you know, look, you know, there's, there's corn-based polymers. There's already some plant-based alternatives to petrochemicals. And all of these things started to come together. Like the more that I started to celebrate agriculture and the more that the agriculture started to bring me back to life, it made me real, like it just, it connected those dots from three years earlier with the trash in the theater to agriculture, to issues with petrochemicals. And so on paper, it seems like there's no logical reason why any of these things would be connected. But when you pull the common denominator back in, it starts to make a little bit more sense of how these things 
kind of step into each other. And looking at some of the businesses that I'm invested in now, same thing. If you saw them objectively, you'd be like, what the heck is he doing? But there is a way that all of these things can kind of connect together. And I think that's the great thing about entrepreneurship is at the end of the day, it's all a story and it's a story that you get to tell and you get to write. And so I tell everybody, I'm still a movie director. Just now I'm directing my movie. Wow, man. So, you know, one of, I'm blown away. I'm almost speechless by that, by that whole journey, man. Um, so one of the really interesting things that you just brought up was that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you started Weed Buds Radio, your very own podcast, out of a need for information, education, insight, and it came from here. It came from the heart, not necessarily from um, a place of, you know, I want to make money or I want to turn this into, you know, some lucrative uh, project or whatever it may be. Do you think that's the element that a lot of entrepreneurs need to consider that if you want something to have purpose, meaning and longevity long term, that it's got to come from the heart and it's got to have something some other motive other than just i want to get rich because that's what it seems like to me a lot of these really really great whether they be you know subject matter experts or whether they be nonprofits or businesses all of the greats and all of the super uber successful organizations and and endeavors they all started from a place of I just want to know, or I just want to connect, or I, I just want to share love, whatever it may be. They all have a common denominator. And that common denominator is not, I want to get rich. So is that something that you see as you're investing in, in entrepreneurs and different businesses and maybe something, you know, looking back on it in hindsight, is that something that, that kind of strikes you as, as a common denominator as well? It's interesting that you asked that question in that way, because as a kid and a teenager, I always wanted to be rich. And I think that becoming rich was an accident. And I think you can, you can kind of flow in between those things. There, there's so many different levels of rich that I know individuals that like they're rich because they have so much love in the world that it, that it consumes them. And there's other people that are rich because, you know, they're satisfied with some monetary value. I assure you, I did not take over the drive-in to get rich. I assure you, I did not start <laughs> a silly podcast to hold people accountable to get rich. However, it's, most of the projects that I started out of selfish enjoyment that have become my most successful projects. And in terms of when I'm consulting or working with other entrepreneurs, it's the people. I don't give a hoot about the product because I, I don't know their product. They know their product. Just like there's very few people in this world that I would allow to tell me how to run a drive-in movie theater, <laughs> you know, analytically, you know, whatever you want to go by, we as a team and as a community, we were the number one drive-in in the world. Right. And 
none of that was was a deliberate. No, none of that was was on purpose. It was I loved my community. I loved my community. And we saved the theater. I love my community in cannabis. And we're going to build this up. We are trailblazing this industry. And I love the world. I love the world. And that's where Not Plastic comes from. And so everything that I have done has been 100% out of love. And the money comes later. You know, it's, it really does. Because if you're focused on the money, you're so miserable, you're not going to make it anyway. You're going to resent the project so much that you will, I've seen it and I've done it. If you hate it, you will find ways to self-sabotage the success of that project because it makes you miserable to continue going down a journey that you don't want to go down. And so I tell everybody, my dad told this to me when I was a kid freaking out about what I was going to be when I grow up. And he told me just find what you enjoy doing and then go do those things and then find a way to make money doing them. (laughs) And that seems so brilliantly easy on paper, dad, you know, when you're nine years old, I'm just going to go do what I love and and make money doing it. No, there's been some of my favorite projects that, that make zero cash, you know, and it's just something that I get to contribute to the world creatively. And, you know, usually there's, there's some sort of just kind of, you know, release for me. And when I tell people like my productivity and my leisure is probably different than most, you know, my, my leisure is somebody else's production. So for me, when the pandemic started and you know, the, the world stinks, I started writing a script with a buddy, you know, we shot a film two months after that. And like, you know, and it's still being edited and worked on and it's just, it's, it's there and it takes an hour or two of my week and it's sometimes two of the best hours of my week, right? And, and who knows, maybe it'll be a big blockbuster success. Maybe seven people will see it. The fact is we made this film for ourselves. And to me, it is absolutely going to be one of the best films of all time because that's what it means to me. And so I think everybody's journey has to mean something to them because everybody can talk, you know, everybody wants to be a shark on Shark Tank. Everybody wants to, you know, do the dragon's den. And what I tell people is that it's like, is that really like, do you think that's going to be what makes you successful? What makes you happy? Because this, this journey of entrepreneurship is a lifelong one. And so if you're looking for the finish line, you might be upset when you get there, you know, because then you've got the rest of your life you know, to try to figure more things out. And that's where I was with the drive-in, right? You know, we accomplished all of these amazing goals. And after we achieved them, it stopped being fun because I had nobody else to compete with. You know, there was no, there was no other competitors in in the area to try to, you know, kind of go and, and fight for market share. And to me, it became less interesting when there was no competition, which is weird because entrepreneurially, it's like you won, you know, keep running and keep raking in the money. No, you know, I, I'm trying to save the industry nationwide. And so maybe that means consolidation in different states. And that's kind of what I saw my role as, is that I could save my state's theater, but I could send a message to the country that there is a way to keep drive-ins in your areas. 
And, you know, I still talk about those things, even though I, I have not been to a drive-in in five years. Uh, I, I still have so much love and passion. And like I said, it, that may be my lighthouse one day. That's incredible. And you know, it's so funny too. You, you mentioned you were so focused on saving the drive-in in your state, but the message, you wanted that message to, to, to hit people nationwide. And it's funny because now I'm in New York, but anytime I see something online about a drive-in, after getting to know you, I just automatically think Rye Russell. And I think about that journey and I think about what you've been able to accomplish. Um, and I think you're, you, not I think, I see you doing it with not plastic. And now anytime that I see a commercial for something or I see something on LinkedIn um, that refers to, you know, biodegradable plastic alternatives or really anything in that arena, my mind automatically shifts to, to Rye Russell. And so I think one of the gifts that you have, and a lot of the listeners of, of this episode would agree with, is storytelling and, and communicating your narrative. And so that is just such a critical, important piece of entrepreneurship, because it's one thing to be able to put your head down, put those blinders on and do the work, which is necessary. But there does come a point where you need to tell that narrative and, and tell the story and communicate to the world what it is you're doing, who you are, and why you do it. Um, and so, well, I and Mike, I was just an introvert growing up. That. That's that blows I was a quiet my mind. Kid. Like I, that like I was a mind. weird kid. You know, I mean, my parents will probably tell you. You know, I was I was running around like crazy. But like, I was trying to do everything I could to not be seen. And, you know, I continue to find myself naturally falling into leadership positions. You know, I, I, I tell everybody this story. I mean, leadership is something that you can hone and you can fine tune. And some of it kind of happens to you. I mean, I was you know, probably one of the, the worst basketball players in the entire league. However, you know, I continue to make an impact all four years that I was there. First of all, I promise I watch more film than anyone in the entire state of Maine in high school basketball. Because what I lacked in physical ability, I had up here. You know, the heart and the brain, you can accomplish anything. And I would watch and I would figure out how to be such a defensive nuisance that I'll never forget we played one of our rivals uh, my senior year. And I'll never forget telling my coach, I'm going to guard this guy. He was one of the best scorers in the entire league for as long as I was in high school. I think we were freshmen at the same time, graduated at the same time. And he was a big guy. He could shoot the ball. He was fast. And I told my coach, I said, I spent three years watching him. I've spent three years watching other people guard him. And I've spent the last six weeks doing nothing but watching film of him. He's not scoring. He's not doing anything this game. And I'll never forget. I, I told him at the Mr. Jensen, when we were lining up for the tip off, I told him, this is your court and you're not going to get a single dunk tonight. And he did not. I was there. And it was for me, I, I felt like I was embracing that kind of Dennis Rodman mindset. Of, I'm not going to score 25 points, but I will get every rebound. I will make him mad. I will fluster him to the point that he can't shoot. And to me, I think that I bring a lot of that to business is that it's analytical, it's evaluate. And then it's seeing the misses and exposing those opportunities. And so 
you don't have to be the best entrepreneur in the world. You have to watch more game film than anybody. You have to educate yeah. yourself and you have to be able to recognize and exploit weaknesses. To your point, a lot of it's storytelling as well. You know, for me being that kind of shy, quiet kid and then, you know, becoming captain of my basketball team, like that was overwhelming to me. Like the thought of having that kind of attention, but it raised my game up. I knew that that pressure was going to be on me and I didn't want to look like a fool. So I had to be sharper. And so it's just, it's interesting how when we talk about the journeys of life that, you know, kind of who you are as a kid really can kind of help decide who you are as an adult. But at the same token, it doesn't have to decide anything. You know, you get to reinvent yourself every day, every day. And one of my best friends, Mark Worcester said to me one time, man, at the end of the day, it's all just a story you tell yourself. And I just, that really kind of slapped me in the face of, yeah, at the end of the day, the only person I'm trying to impress is me. You know, I, to me, the, the drive-in was kind of one of my thank yous to my mom and dad. Like that was something special that we did growing up and to save that for them, you know, as for the community, but to save that for them was kind of my way of just saying, thank you. That's incredible. I just got the chills. <laughs> so, Rye, I want to be conscious of your time as well. And I thank you so much for, uh, for coming on today. Um, of course. I would just like to leave the, uh, leave the listeners with one last gem from you. And <laughs> if you could go back in time and give the younger Rye Russell a piece of advice, whether it be personal or professional, what would it be? <sighs> Michael, if I could give younger Rye a piece of advice, the only, the only thing that matters is what matters to you. That's it. You know, I think of the anxiety that I used to put myself through. Again, kind of, you know, like I said, you know, Mark, one of my best friends, when he said to me, everything's just a story you tell yourself. When you replay the things that, you know, you said something wrong, maybe you accidentally offended somebody, but it keeps you up all night because they were done thinking about it two minutes later. Ah, you know, he misspoke, whatever, move on. But like a lot of times us entrepreneurs, we can't move on. You know, that really bothers us that there might be somebody out in the world that, that might think something that just isn't true, or we said something wrong or whatever. And being able to let go is just a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs because we do, we bring so much baggage. We bring baggage from the last project, baggage from the last relationship, last partnership. And at the end of the day, the next project has nothing to do with the one that you just completed. And so I would tell younger Rye to just remember that the next project is exactly that. It's the next project. It's not who you are. It's not your life. It's not your existence. It's your next project. And your existence is ultimately what you leave to the world. And the only thing I'm trying to leave is a legacy that when people think of Rye Russell, they think of somebody that sacrificed everything to share love with the world. So powerful. Right. I appreciate that. For our listeners today, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? 
The absolute best way to get a hold of me would definitely be LinkedIn. Of course, I'm on Facebook and, and the Grams and everything else, but uh, LinkedIn is the one channel that uh, it is. It's always me. It's always unfiltered, and uh, I'm really excited to to connect with with new individuals and people that are making a difference in in the world. Right. I appreciate your time and thank you so much for coming on to the very first episode of the Major Journey podcast. Um, it was a treat to be on on your episode on your podcast, Weed Buds Radio, where I actually had my first podcast experience. And I promised you after that that uh, that we were just going to kick some ass on the very first episode of of a Major Journey. And I'm just so grateful that we were actually able to do this. So thank you for your time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.